Message three, our great need, the wisdom of God. Turn to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three and go to verse five. And when you get there, stand up. We're going we're gonna to stand up, read these two passages of Scripture that we're going to read, and then we're going to pray again. How many of you know it's all about prayer? We're going to pray again. And God's going to bless our socks off today. Can you say amen? Look at somebody nearby and say, God's going to bless our socks off today. That's right. Get ready to go sockless. Amen? All right. You're at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Father, we're about to read your word. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you make it life and breath to us today for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I'm going there now. I cheat on the first one. I'm already, I've already got it now, you know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. 1 Thessalonians, huh? New Testament. Keep looking. It's all right. It's okay, right? Hello, Chad. I was just, I was just bragging on you guys earlier today. I already gave you testimony. Sorry, brother. I didn't see you. And so uh, I testified on your behalf about all the great things God's doing. Well, you're welcome, brother. <laughs> no, no, Chad. You know, God, God's going to live up to it. He's, he's the one doing it, right? That's right. It's a heart matter, and God's working it, right? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice sometimes. You sure it isn't like part-time? Part of the way? <laughs> All right, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Not pray sometimes. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It didn't say thank God for everything. It said thank God in everything, right? In all circumstances. That's right. Why? Because do we not need the help of the Lord? All right. Be seated. I'm going to share with you the synopsis of this message again, our goal. This series of messages it's going to help the children of God understand that Jesus has turned every opportunity for sin, and I might add for sin and failure, into an opportunity to win. And that's birthed out of relationship with him. Amen? God is not a slot machine, right? He's not like one of those things in Vegas where you go grab the handle and pull on it and hope for the best. That's no retirement plan. Can you say Amen? All right, watch this with me. Every challenge we face in life is a door for which God's wisdom can be manifest in our life so we can know the plan he has for us to achieve victory. In the process, we get to see the glory of God manifest in our lives. The reason why I believe God led me to the scriptures that I opened this message with is that this series on godly wisdom is giving new light to these passages of Scripture for me. They're making them life to me that I've been talking about this morning, light and life. 
I now see these passages differently than I saw them in the past. And, and since we are doing a series and I haven't done any takeaways yet, I'm going to give you five takeaways. Five takeaways. Number one, put it up there, Nathan. Number one, my life is to be centered around prayer about everything. My life is to be centered around prayer about everything. Number two, I am not to place any confidence in my own ability to make big decisions for my life. <laughs> I, I'm not to have any confidence in it. I'll approach it with logic. I'll approach it with my wisdom. And what have we learned? Any wisdom that is not based from the throne of God is evil. I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. God is. Amen? He knew way back before the foundation of the world. Amen? Number three is a question. Why should I trust in my own wisdom when I have access to God's through prayer? Who? That's right, sister. Who? Yeah. That, that's dynamite right there. Why should I trust in my own wisdom when I have access to God's wisdom through prayer? That has got to become second nature to us so that every time we hit a speed bump, we go straight to God. Go straight to God. Not woe is me. Not what am I going to do? How, am I, how can I figure this out? Stop that mess. That's a dead end for you. Go straight to God. Talk to him about it. Ask him about his wisdom. I'm going I'm to prove why it's important. Number four, my emotional state of mind should be rooted in the truth of God. I mean, not in the circumstances of my life. Amen? I mean, this is shouting material right here. We're just getting rolling good. The wheels are just starting to turn. All right? Number five, there's nothing I face or will face that lacks for opportunity for the manifestation of God's glory in me through his victory. Amen? Is it really our victory? Well, in the light of the fact that he gives it to us, yeah, but that's about where it ends right there. It's God's victory. It was God's plan. It was God's idea. And, and I'm telling you, when God has an idea, when God has a plan, when God manifests something like that in our life, it's extremely thorough. It's never peripheral. It always goes to the root of the problem. Always deals with the root because he's not a peripheral God, and he doesn't deal with our life situations on the peripheria. It goes right to the root. I'm going to prove it in God's Word. I want to take a few minutes here. Turn to Acts chapter 5. We're going to live there for a little while. Acts chapter 5. It's okay if we stay in Acts chapter 5 for a little bit, isn't it? Watch this with me. Acts chapter 5. I don't hear any pages turning. Are we there? Are we happy with this? We're... Oh, okay, okay. Don't, don't, change the, don't change the overhead. Don't change the overhead. Let them, let them write. You know, these notes, these exact same notes are available to you online. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't hide any of this from you. I'll give you all of the notes. We'll, we'll show you how. Nathan's the man, right? Nathan's the man. He'll show you how to get to him. All right. That's right. Look, there, there's somebody's thinking. Took a, took a photo of it with their phone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How, how well are we doing? We're good? What did we say in the beginning? We're not going to get in a hurry, right? we got to get this down on the inside of us. We can't afford to leave this behind, right? I remember a curriculum that I used in one of the schools at a church that I ran. 
what I loved about it is you couldn't move on until you, until you got a perfect score on their exam because there was no material they wanted you to leave behind. They wanted you to get it, right? Well, this is something, this is something like that. We can't afford to tap this lightly, all right? Now, Acts chapter 5. What did we say about verse 29 in Acts chapter 5 before when they had ordered Peter and the apostles not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, right? But Peter answered in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men, right? And, and I've already told you, love was the key word in the book of John, but obedience becomes the key word in the book of Acts because Jesus said, even back in John, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. So the book of Acts, you do not find the word love in the book of Acts. Isn't that amazing? You don't find it, but you find the word obey and obedience. The apostles and the disciples of the early church showed that they loved Jesus through their obedience. If he said it, if the Holy Ghost said it, boom, it was done. They were going to do it, right? Now watch. So, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The gospel of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who what? Obey him. Because that word just keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. Do you want deliverance today from that thing that so easily besets you? Then obey him. Do what he tells you to. When he gives you a plan, write it down and follow the details. Amen? Because a plan given by God deals with the root of a matter, not the periphery, right? So, verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Now, watch this and tell me what you think about this man. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, pay attention to that name, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were uh, dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Isn't that dynamic? Let me, let me ask you a question. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, can, you, can you keep a hand in there and go to James chapter 3? Go to James chapter 3 with me. James chapter 3. I'm going to ask you a question about what Gamaliel did. Because what do we know about Gamaliel? This is about, this is about the jest of what we know about him, right? But you go to James chapter 3 and you look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable. Then what? Gentle, open to reason, 
full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Every word that came out of Gamaliel's mouth back here in Acts, that wasn't his wisdom. That was not his wisdom. That was James chapter 3 wisdom. You understand what I'm saying? So we, we learn a lot from Gamaliel by the words of his mouth coming forth. It manifested in their midst the wisdom of God, right? And it kept those disciples from being murdered. Now, let me tell you what it did do, though, because this amazes me. We, we've got to read this. Uh, so in the present case, look at verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it, and you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, listen to this, they beat them. I mean, it still got ugly, didn't it? But it didn't kill them. It said they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not uh, cease teaching and preaching Jesus is as the Christ. So what did they do? They thanked God that they were worthy to be beaten for the name of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, this may not have been the best week I've ever had, but it didn't take a single beating. And matter of fact, I'm not saying... You know, dear Lord, it's been a long time since I've had a beating. I think it would really be nice <laughs> if you gave me this opportunity this week to get a beating. But, and, I, and we laugh about that, and it is kind of humorous. I do kind of make fun of it because I, I have not been beaten for the gospel. I've never been given a lash, not a single one for the gospel, and yet I know that the church there was stronger than the church today is in this country. But... Don't fret. Our opportunity may be coming around again. You know what I say? Why don't we just get ready for the great revival and not be goofy enough to wait around for the persecution and the beatings to begin? Amen? Why don't we just get a hold of the wisdom of God and say, Father, how can we get this right during the good times instead of becoming lazy, instead of becoming apathetic, instead of becoming deaf, to what God's saying to us and blind to what he wants to accomplish. You know what? I say, let's just get it on. Let's just go with God. Let's get a hold of his wisdom. Let's get his plan. Let's follow through and let's move forward. Let's have the revival he wants to give. We don't have to wait for the beatings to begin. Amen? Now, here's what I want to show you, though. This was one of the examples that God said, go there first and listen to the words of Gamaliel and ask yourself where he got that from. I think it's pretty simple to understand that God had touched Gamaliel. Gamaliel had some kind of relationship with God whereupon God entrusted him with a little taste of his wisdom and it saved some of the early apostles' lives. And they were able to go on preaching. They were even able to rejoice that they'd received a beating. They were honored enough to receive a beating in, uh, because of the name of Jesus. God help us. Amen? Okay. Well, that's exciting, isn't it? Let's see. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's why I love doing what I do. Amen? 
This passage of Scripture speaks volumes about why God had Gamaliel, where he had positioned him for just such a moment as this. This is highly indicative of how the wisdom of God works. Our dependence on God should bring us to a point where in every situation of life we seek God in prayer for His wisdom, wherein a strategy is revealed, victory is achieved, and the glory of God is manifest. Over and over in the Bible, this truth is revealed. Most of the time we pray, we pray for victory, victory, victory. What we should be praying for is wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Can you say amen? How would you like some proof in the Word of God? We're going to go have some fun now. Grab your chapter 5. Go to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 5. You know, I was on the phone with Gloria this week, and I, I spoke with her a little bit about this sermon. I was so excited, I blurted something out. And Gloria, after I hung up, the Holy Spirit rose up within me and said, you know what you just told Gloria is wrong. <laughs> so I'm just taking ownership, all right? Gloria, why don't you just forget what I said the other day because what you're going to get today is more accurate, all right? 2 Kings chapter 5. Look, do I like to make notes in my Bible? I mean, I do. I mean, this is fun. 2 Kings chapter 5. And I don't care whether you go to the Old Testament or the New Testament. Over and over and over and over again, you see manifest the wisdom of God, then he has a plan, and he reveals it to somebody, and they obey the plan, and then victory is had, and then the glory falls. How many of you know there's glory in victory, right? It's why when the soldiers came home from World War II, they were welcomed, they were praised, they were adored, but when the soldiers came home from Vietnam over a truce, not victory, they, there was no glory. There was no glory in a truce. There's only glory in victory. Think about it, right? And that's why we owe a debt of gratitude to all Vietnam veterans today. A debt of gratitude because as a whole, they were not welcomed properly, right? They were not. God forgive us as a nation. Amen? All right, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at a story, and we're going to look at how it unfolded. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I mean 2 Kings, thank you. 2 Kings chapter 5, I didn't know what you were getting worked up about. <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 5, thank you very much. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now think about it right now. If you meet the man and you see, wow, he's got leprosy, you don't feel like hugging him. You know what I'm saying? It ain't, you're hugging him's not the first thought that comes to your mind, right? But listen to me. So you would think, naturally, being a leper, the greatest needed in his life is healing, right? If you think that, you're wrong. Naaman's greatest need was not to be healed of leprosy. Watch this with me. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, 
and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So all they're doing is, what are they doing? They're following protocol. He's about to enter another nation, and he wants to be healed of leprosy. The king, his king loves him, appreciates him, and he's going to say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to send you to the king. Why? Because the king in Israel would be like the doorkeeper to the nation. You understand what I'm saying? They're just following worldly protocols. That's what they're doing, right? All right. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. I don't know how much that'd be worth today, but how many of you can say a whole lot? It's worth a whole lot. Amen? All right. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Do you see how things are going wrong real fast? Why? Because the king, Naaman's king, operated in worldly wisdom. Didn't know any better, right? He's just doing what he thought was right. All right, let's see. But when Elisha, the man of God, that's verse 8, right? But when Elisha, the man of God, in, in 2 Kings, right? <laughs> 2, Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel, so Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. A lot of pomp and circumstance, right? And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't come out. That was not God's plan for Elisha to come out. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. And you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. <laughs> I mean, he had a preconceived idea based out of his pride about how he thought it ought to go. Is Naaman all that different from us? I mean, how many times have we went to God and told him, you know, it would be really nice, God, if this worked out like this? Don't get looking down your nose at Naaman. We, we suffer from Naamanese, you know, pretty regularly. <laughs> you know, it's a virus, a spiritual virus, and it's catchy. All right? It, it's catchy. All right. Are not Abana uh, and Parfar... The, the uh, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a what? We never get mad at God, not us. We, we never get mad. Naaman had a serious problem, and, and he got mad at God. But we no, don't hand me that. 
Every one of us at one time or another have been tempted to be upset with God either because we thought he wasn't listening or we didn't like his ideas. We didn't like his plan. But what must we always remember? God does not work on the periphery. He goes straight to the root. Leprosy was not Naaman's worst problem. It wasn't. It was not his worst problem. Naaman had pride and arrogance in his heart, believing that he could pay for what he wanted from God. You cannot bribe God. You cannot set any price on the gift of God. Peter once rebuked a man for this type of sin and told him that he, he perceived that he was still in the gall of bitterness. Now think about this with me. We can't go there. We can't, we can't just jump all over the Bible. But do you remember the story where a man had supposedly got saved? And he's wandering around with the disciples and he's seen miracles happen and he wants to be one of those guys and he wants to buy the gift of God based in pride. Pride. All right? Peter once rebuked a man for this type of sin and told him that he perceived that he was still in the gall of bitterness. He had supposedly become a follower, but Peter perceived he was still in the gall of bitterness. God help us all. Amen? With Naaman, it is painfully clear that he had a predetermination of how things should unfold in his life that was birthed and rooted in his pride. Glory, here's what I got right finally. I got this right. There are three important lessons here about Naaman. Listen to me carefully. Number one, get ready to write. Unbelief is the basis for sin. Unbelief is the basis for sin. All right? Think about that with me now. Unbelief is the basis of sin. You know, there's, you name a sin in this world. I mean, there, there's some pretty bad things, you know. It's pretty, you know, but it's hard to name anything that God's going to not forgive you for. It's hard. You know what I'm saying? For that grace can't cover or won't cover, right? You know what's going to send people to hell more than any other sin out there in the world? The sin of unbelief. I don't believe in God. I don't believe that the message of Christ will save me. More people will go to hell for the sin of unbelief than just about all other sins combined. Amen? Number two, pride is the strength of sin. Pride is what tells, is it comes out of a man when the wife says to him, we need to go to counseling. He says, I'm not going to counseling. Do you know that when a husband has pride in his life and will not go to counseling, it's the same reason only works that he won't ask for directions. Men do not like to ask for directions because to them it's a sign of weakness. Don't tell me I don't know where I'm going. I don't care if I've been around this block 18 times. I don't, don't tell me I don't know where I'm going, right? Pride. Pride is the strength of sin. And here's the third one. Deception is the character of sin. Deception is the character of sin. Unbelief is the basis of sin. Pride is the strength of sin. And deception is the character of sin. Anytime that we think we're smarter than God or that our plans are better than God's plans, that, that means we are so deceived. 
We are so self-deceived, amen, and deception becomes the character of sin in our life. It's why we spend so much time praying for certain people, and it seems like they'll never come around. Don't stop praying, amen. They're doomed if you stop praying. They're surely doomed. Pray for them as long as there's breath in their body and breath in your body so that the deception can be overcome. Speaking specifically of pride being the strength of sin is because pride will not allow you to humble your heart and to admit that you are wrong or that you have a need. This is especially true of men. In the wisdom of God, he provided a strategy that would provide for Naaman a way for the pride of his life to be broken. Am I right or wrong? I know, I know I'm right. I don't need you to tell me that, but I'm glad you answered it. <laughs> Watch this with me. Go back now to 2 Kings chapter 5. Thank you. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 13. Thank God there were some servants with him that could speak a little sense into him, right? But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times. How many of you believe with all your heart like I do that it wasn't until after he was submerged in the water the seventh time that he came up whole? He didn't say on the first dip, get a little better, the second dip, get a little better. No, he was going to have to go all seven rounds with the Holy Ghost. Amen? He was going to have to go all seven rounds, right? And on the seventh time when he came up, there's no leprosy. And I'm telling you, the Scripture tells us Naaman's life was never the same again. Naaman went down on dip number seven and came up a new man. He not only didn't have leprosy anymore, he also had a contrite spirit. And that pride, that demonic force of pride was broken because God deals with the root of the problem because he loves us. Amen? He loves us, right? Now, watch what it says. Then he returned to the man of God he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. Here's what he calls himself. Now he was a great general when he arrived in Israel that morning. Now he calls himself the servant to a prophet he barely knows. Now he's a servant. Now he has a servant's heart. Don't tell me Naaman isn't a new man. Amen? No prideful man can call himself a servant. Amen? So accept now a present from your servant, but he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. I looked at the original Hebrew. He begged him, please take something from my hand. Please take a gift from me. And the prophet said, no, no. You have to forgive me because I get where I can't see real well. I'm going to have to cheat here and go 
to the bigger print. Verse 17, then Naaman said, if not, and this is amazing. A lot of people don't know this. What happened next? He asked for something. So he goes from begging the prophet to take a gift, and the prophet said, no, I'll have none of it. Now it rolls back over, and Naaman asked for something. Then Naaman said, if not, if you won't take a gift from me, please let there be given to your servant. So Naaman's asking for something. Two mule loads of dirt. Naaman wants two mule loads of dirt. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. He wants to have, he went from despising Israel when he arrived. He had no respect for the nation of Israel. He had no respect for the king. He really didn't have any respect for the man of God until God touched him and changed him. Now he wants everyone to know I'll never serve, I'll never sacrifice to any God but the God of Israel. Now, listen to this. I've looked into the background of this. Naaman would have stayed in Israel if he could have. That's how much he loved God. And he's trying to explain to the, to the man of God, he's trying to explain to the prophet, my duties when I go back is I have to escort the king into the temple of Rimon. I hold his arm. I help him kneel. I help him rise. I do not want the people to think that I'm sacrificing or bowing to Rimon. Will you pardon me for doing my job and helping the king into the temple, helping him kneel and helping him rise? But from now on, my sacrifices will be to the God of Israel and it will be done on Israeli soil because I'm taking it with me. Now, don't tell me that Naaman's not a new man. Now, you can say all you want. Well, I think, by God, he should have said, I'm not going in there with the king. I'm not that. The prophet said, go with God. The prophet said, yep, right, go in peace. If the prophet says, go in peace, isn't that the prophet's way of saying, yeah, I hear you. I hear your request. Go in peace. Go do it, right? But he's going to take two mule loads of dirt. He's going to make a pad. He's going to build an altar on it, and he's going to sacrifice to the Lord God of Israel for the rest of his life. And he's going to let everybody in the country know, I do not sacrifice to any God but the God of Israel. And if I, if I walk my king into the, the, the temple of Rimon and help him up and help him, help him down and help him up, it doesn't mean I'm worshiping Rimon. And I've cleared it with the man of God. The man who gave me the instruction to go down to the river and dip seven times. Now, what, what are we getting out of this? Now, you know the story. You know the story, verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian uh, in not accepting from his hand what he bought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men, right? Of the sons of the prophets, please tell him a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. 
And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments? olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. It's hard for me to, to dwell on this. Remember what we said about deception is the character of sin. It deceives. Gehazi had no idea who he was serving. It's a true man of God. Or he'd have known. If I did this thing, it's in my heart, surely Elijah would know. And he didn't know that. All of that time hanging out with Elijah had not pierced the void in his own life. Now listen to me carefully. How many of you believe God is a God of details? Notice that the man of God did not say to him, that you're going you're gonna to become a leper and all of your descendants are going to become lepers. What did he say to him? It's not what he said. He said, you're not even going to have leprosy of your own. You're going to have Naaman's leprosy. The leprosy that God took from Naaman because Naaman obeyed God, that's the leprosy you're going to have. You're going to have Naaman's leprosy and your descendants are going to have Naaman's leprosy. That's a powerful statement. I don't know if you understand that or not. All of this story is linked to the wisdom of God. All that story. Every story we're going to look at in the Bible and it's over and over, and I'm going to make you kind of sick of eating this meal before we're done because you need to see it over and over and over again that this is very God. And if we want our lives to change, we're going to have to let this sink down on the inside of us and change us. Amen? So that we do this. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do those words not mean something a little bit more to you today than they did yesterday? I hope so. I hope so. Because the wisdom of God is at our disposal. I believe with all of my heart that God craves hearing his children ask him about his wisdom. Do you, you realize that God is God because he gets to do things nobody else gets to do? You know? If God wants to answer my prayer or not answer my prayer, it is because he is God. I'm not God. You're not God. He is God. He can do it whatever way he wants to do it. We're just fortunate that he wants to shower us with his wisdom. He's a pretty smart God. Amen? So, get ready. 
you, if you want more, come back next week. We're going to pick right up here. Amen?